Hello, welcome to the Trudy Myrtle podcast. I'm Libby and this is episode 19. It's lovely to have you here. I've got a really fun interview for you today, but before we get on with that, I thought I'd just fill you in on some of the news from behind the scenes at Trudy Myrtle. Are you joining in our washi sew along? We're having a washi dress sew along. You may have heard of this dress. It's from Made by Ray. You can find the pattern on the Made by Ray website. It's a fabulous little dress. It's really adaptable too. So I've made it as a dress and a top so far. You can have it sleeveless with sleeves, change the neckline. You can have a tunic version. It's really, really adaptable. Uh, We're doing a sew along. We started last week. I think it was Friday. It might have been a week today, actually. And we're wrapping up next Wednesday. I've broken the pattern into just little tiny chunks. 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. So it's really manageable. You won't even notice you're sewing a dress. You'll just sew a little bit every day. If you haven't been joining in or if you've missed a few days, don't panic. You can easily, easily catch up. In fact, I think if you sat down for an hour this weekend, you can catch up with us and then you can wrap up for the finish for next week. It'd be so nice to have a new dress for you in the Northern Hemisphere. You'll have it in time for spring. And for those of you down here in the baking hot heat, you can wear it as soon as it's done. I can't wait to put mine on. So come and join us. There are three streams going. One's on Instagram, one's on Facebook, and one is in my Ravelry group. So you can just go and join in where you want to. If you do join in on Instagram, tag your projects, washi, dress, sell, S-A-L, and then you'll see all the other projects that everyone else is doing and there's some really fun stuff. People are learning new skills, trying new things, experimenting with different fabrics. Oh, it's really fun. And if you want to see what the steps have been so far, you can either pop along to the Ravelry group and they're all there in a big long list or just search the tag Washi Dress S-A-L Cell Steps and they're all there, all there on the same page and you can just start at number one and follow them through. And you don't have to join in to to follow them through right now if you want to do the sew along later then go and see what tips and tricks people have been sharing when you make your washi dress but it'll be fun to have you if you decide to join in what else has happened i've released a couple of patterns since i last spoke to you i released the maximus hat Um, it's a great warrior hat it's for guys and girls it's um it's it's been really popular i'm so thrilled lots of people seem to like it and lots of you have made it already it's really cozy it's got heaps of ribbing which is easy to do and it's got a funky cable at the front which is sort of reminds me of warrior helmets i think i told you about it in my last podcast well it's out it's live you can find it on ravelry i'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to go and check it out it doesn't use much yarn it's just one skein of aaron i used beautiful malabrigo rios any soft Aran weight yarn will be will be just great for it. The other thing I've done is released another pattern called Liza. And Liza is a wrap. She's a Scandinavian-inspired wrap. And I've actually released her in collaboration with Kate from Infinite Twist. Now, I'm, I'm interviewing Kate. That's who we're going to hear from in a minute. And she's got a great story to tell about living in China, the work that she's doing, the yarn that she's producing, and all the fun stuff that she gets up to to be honest so I hope you enjoy that in a minute Liza wrap is a big rectangular wrap it uses four colors and you can buy it as a kit from Kate so she has all the yarn and the notions and the needles and she will ship it to you with the pattern 
for free. Not the, I mean, obviously you have to buy the kit, but she will do free shipping. Isn't that fantastic? So anywhere in the world she can do free shipping. Um, it's got a little bit of colour work on it, but it's all slip stitches, so it's not tricky. It's got a cool little I-cord edge, which I rather love, and it just finishes it off beautifully. And you can it just uses little pops of colour throughout, so that... Uh, yeah it's it's great for just a, a wrap throwing up for throwing on and it's really cozy and my gorgeous sister-in-law modeled it for me so I'm quite I'm actually getting quite keen on using other models because my brother modeled the Maximus hat and now my sister-in-law Bex has modeled this wrap and I'm feeling quite inspired to not actually stand in front of the camera again I'm actually now scouting gorgeous women and guys, but mostly women, because, you know, I mostly do women's patterns. I'm scouting them to see who would make good patterns. And so far, when I was at the rugby club with the kids the other night, having dinner and meeting up with people, there was a gorgeous woman, woman there I thought might be good. And then the other night at our school meeting, I spied a mother at school and thought, hmm, you might be good too. So I'm making a little mental list of people that might be good models. I'm looking for women in their 30s and 40s, especially their 40s, because, you know, that's how old I am. And lots of you, I know that you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s too. So we want some real life models, don't we? Anyway, if you live near me and you fancy being a model, give me a yell. But um, I think I'm going to have to stand in front of the camera for the next couple of patterns I've got. But after that... I'm thinking it might be quite fun to use some other people. Let's see what I, what I come up with. Let's see if they can be persuaded, shall we? Shall we hear from Kate? I'm, I was so pleased to be able to speak to Kate. She lives in Shanghai, so we had to tie up the t um, times. She had to get up really early to talk to me, so poor old thing. And her pussycat was in the room and jumping all over the show. So I've, I'm hoping it's not too distracting for you. But she was lovely to talk to. So she's been in Shanghai for quite a while, as you will hear. And she started this gorgeous yarn company, sourcing wool from China. Um, it's Some of it's coming out of mills. But the thing I was really excited about was the yarn that she's getting hand-spun by rural women in China. And we talk a bit about that. And it's just a, a great project. It really is. I mean, you know, China's going through such a lot of change with people moving to the cities and as you will hear it's actually really difficult for women to move from the cities and and have any money they're not supported by the state so being able to provide jobs for women in rural China is just fantastic and as you will hear these jobs are portable they can take their spinning wheels and and go anywhere with them go on holiday and and take do a bit of spinning it's it's really fun so I hope you enjoy that my washi dress my washi dress I'm getting all confused <laughs> My Liza wrap uses four of Kate's yarns from her Helix range, and it's a it's a really good working yarn. I've really enjoyed working with it. It's a nice round yarn. It's got quite a tight twist to it. It's incredibly durable. I ripped that pattern out quite a few times because I kept changing my mind about what I was doing, and you would not tell at all from the sample. So it's really good working yarn, and the colours that she produces are just so pretty. So I really encourage you to go and check out her website. Anyway, here's Kate. All right, well, um, I'm in Shanghai, China. Um, I'm in a part of the city that uh, has been home to Europeans for a really long time. Um, 
the this area is is kind of referred to as as the former French concession because a lot of the Euro- European powers used to have um, kind of bases of operation in China in Shanghai and so a lot of the old buildings are are still here um, and so I'm in one of the old buildings which is really fun and I'm um, sitting in my studio and there's a space heater over in my corner with a whole bunch of yarn draped out on a drying rack on top of it. Um, and yeah, my days it consist of a lot of time with the dye pots, working on colors and producing yarn and packing orders and working on designs. Um, and yeah, there's cats running around here, <laughs> one of which is on three legs. Um, but he's, he's doing really well, though. Um, my, my cat fell out the window. Oh, and, always thing. Yeah, but he's he's doing better. And uh, he's he's. I, I think he's adjusting really well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the picture of my morning so far. Fabulous. I, and your little video you've got on your website, you, you're outside some little, it's a, just a little alley with your little houses. <laughs> and is that actually your spot, like where you actually are? Or is that nearby? Oh, gosh. Okay, so this is a funny story. I will try to keep this really brief. That is our old house. Um, we had a little issue there where it turned, and this is really common with the old lane houses. Um, we had a little tiny electrical fire, and it turned out that all of the plugs in the house had been wired without a ground wire, which is super, super dangerous. And whoever had done the wiring job just put you know, three prong plates over these totally illegally wired sockets. And when we brought this to the attention of the landlord, they were like, oh, that's what's what's the big deal. And the thing that was super, super scary is that this house had an inline hot water heater. And the thing that I was really, really jumpy about was if there's a short and you're in the shower, like, I think that electricity is going to go into the water. Oh, um, no. Yeah, so we moved. Right, right. But, oh my gosh, I love that little house. You know, it's um that it was it was really nice to kind of live in that lane and get you know a much more local um, experience. Um, you know, our our neighbors were so sweet, and you know, it was just it was really nice to kind of be a part of their lives because when you're living in those little alleys, um, most people actually have their kitchens outside, and so there's. Yeah, and there'll be like one that that area was what's called a donway, um, and the the donways are run by um, the the various uh, entities of the state. So that particular donway um, belonged to the electric company, and so for for most of the people that lived there, they were either on pensions or retired from working for the electric company, and so on. Um, like on one day of the month, they would still put on their electric company uniforms. And so they'd be out playing cards and hanging out with their birds in their, in their uniforms. Um, so it, it was, it was a lovely, lovely place. And and had it not been for fear of death by electrocution, we'd probably still be living there. <laughs> oh no, I loved it with all the washing hanging out and things like that. So you're in another, another sort of house now, then you've got your studio inside and, mm-hmm. um, and how long have you actually been in China? Tell me what brought you to China in the first place. Well, it's been a little bit over seven years. Um, and so I used to work for Adidas and I worked for them in Portland, Oregon. And um, I started working for them as an apparel developer. And so in that job, you're working really, really closely with fabrics and trims and screen prints. And so you get this very like deep technical background in like, well, you know, okay, so we're we're using this knit fabric to make this T-shirt, and 
now we've got our sample that we sent them. We sent the factory the pattern. They made the sample. Another sample looks awful. Let's figure out why that happened and how we can do this better next time. Um, and so it's, I, I that job was wonderful. And then I transferred within the company um, to take a promotion in in Shanghai. And then got here and you know it was it was a bit of a slog to be completely honest um i was traveling a lot with that job and for the for the time that i was working for them while living in china i was never on the ground for more than 3 weeks consecutively mm-hmm. um and it just got to a point where it's like okay i need to do something else um but kind of on the heels of that um sort of having having this like really educational experience learning a lot about the technical side of textiles and then also being a hand spinner and then also having my dad launch this wheel project like kind of all that came together um to become infinite twist oh i see so did you speak chinese when you came over or have you learned to speak chinese (laughs) nothing so that's a Um, huge challenge yeah, it really is. I was I was incredibly lucky in that um, my now husband, then boyfriend, came with me, and he he uh, his his undergraduate degrees in linguistics, and so he's really really good at like figuring out how languages work, um, and he can make all the appropriate noises, which is really really helpful. Um, and then also he has perfect pitch, and this is really important for Chinese because um, Chinese is a tonal language. There are, there are four tones, and so the same sound said in each different tone means something different. Um, my personal favorite example of this is is the word for, and like I, my tones are not good at all, so don't quote me on this, um, but the, the word for love and the word for cancer are the same, just said differently. Goodness. Yeah. And so it's it's really important to get your tones right. And and if you do not come from a tonal language or you just don't have that gift, it can be really difficult to make yourself understood. Crumbs. Oh, I had no idea. I don't know any Chinese myself. Wow. That's, you know, yeah. And and after seven years, he's he just absolutely rocks it. He does a lot of his like actual work day in Chinese. And like I can get in a taxi and tell the taxi driver where I want to go. You know, I can do my shopping at the market and like work out how much things cost. And and so like I'm functional. Um, but like I, I, I will admit that there's still a lot of charades and a lot of pointing and, and a lot of like this, but different, <laughs> you know. So so I this speak- color. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how funny. So you said that your dad was making these wheels and you were trying to do, want to do something different. So tell me about the, the beginnings of Infinite Twist and how we all, how it all got started. Well, you know, I was, uh, to, to be completely honest, I was complaining to him a lot about my job and, you know, just kind of trying to figure out like, well, okay, what's what's going to be a better a better path forward? And kind of while that's going on, I mean, he's, he's always been a woodworker and he's always built beautiful furniture. And um, he's he's got a very strong sense of like what, what a good functional design is. And he, I think he went through 13 generations, like from the very, very first like conceptual wheel that he put together. And if they did not meet his standards, he took them apart and they went in the fireplace. Whoa. Yeah. So he's, um, he's very committed to like 
getting it right. Um, but the design um, that he's he's kind of finally landed on for the wheel, um, I think, is really something special. And it was it was really fun to work with him on that process because he um, he had it tested by a bunch of different spinners and got feedback from everybody and would kind of go back to his workshop and and you know sort of think about how he could incorporate that feedback. Um, and I think he's landed with with something that's just really really beautiful. Um, but he didn't he like he just wanted to make them he did he did and he wanted to get feedback and like he just wanted to do the product side of it and so basically you know when I quit my job and was at loose ends a little bit he's like well why don't why don't you take on like the sales and marketing of the wheels and and like let's just do this project together and um so out of that experience um we took the wheels I, I traveled from China to um uh Lake Tahoe area uh for um the spinoff autumn retreat in 2012. And so he kind of debuted the wheels at that time. And we knew we were going to have this big booth. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll bring some fiber and stuff and just kind of see how this goes. Um, Cause I'd been dyeing fiber um, and kind of working on colors. Um, and I was really happy with how, with how the booth looked, you know, cause we had the wheel, we had all this fiber and like people responded really, really well to it. And so the rest of the business has just kind of grown out of that, that, you know, getting feedback from people on like, well, you know, okay, we like this red, but not so orange. This blue is nice, but more purple. Um, and so kind of trying to build, build colors and build an, you know, kind of an ecosystem of yarn and fiber that, that all work together. Mm-hmm. And they're called the Arcadia wheels, is that right? Yeah. So the place where um, where that design came into being uh, is is in Maine, and there's a there's a huge national park there called Acadia National Park, um, and it's just beautiful. If you ever get a chance to go to Maine, you have to go to Acadia National Park. It's just gorgeous. Um, but my dad was living like literally a stone's throw from the border of the park. Um, he and uh, my stepmother have since relocated to the West Coast. The winters just got too long for them. <laughs> um, yeah, Maine has some long winters. Um, but so, yeah, they're they're on the West Coast and doing really well. And he's got a shop set up out there. And so, yeah, now the wheels are, are coming from Oregon. Oh, that's fabulous. I think they look just beautiful. They're lovely. And I love it. In your pictures, are they the wheels that you're women that you use um, to spin on, to spin your yarn, or do they use other wheels? And tell me a little bit about the women who are spinning oh, yeah. your yarn. I've, I'm leaping ahead here. Oh, yeah, that's, that's totally <laughs> But, um, yeah. Oh. So um, Zul and her mom, um, the, the spinners that I'm working with right now, um, they actually really like being able to use little e-spinners. Oh. Um, and... Um, I say this with all love, they are really, really hard on stuff. Like they have yet to meet a tool that they can't break. <laughs> and so the e-spinners um, meet their needs better <laughs> than, than a big wheel would. Um, it's uh, kind of a long story short in like right now, Zul is back in her hometown because it's Chinese New Year. And like the one of the things in Chinese culture is that like you just go home for Chinese New Year because that's what you do. Um, and so it's this crazy holiday where just like everything stops. You know, it's like put down the tools, go home. <laughs> like that's the that's the thing. So um, for her, the e-spinner is really effective because she can just literally put it in her bag, take some fiber and then work wherever she is. So it's, it's kind of um, 
it's kind of like the modernized spindle. Um, but but she's really fast. And so she actually set up her e-spinner with this um, Chinese sewing machine motor. <laughs> like, I don't even know how many RPMs this thing is doing per minute, but she's just zooming. So, wow. um, yeah. Oh, how fantastic. Uh, but they were spindle spinning, were they, when you first uh, came across yeah. this woman? So the, the, there's there's two different groups of spinners that I work with. I did a bunch of trainings out in Western China for a yarn company that was setting up a cooperative out there. And I still do source some of my hand spun from that cooperative. Um, it's a little tricky just in terms of the distances and shipping and everything to really make that work. Um, but, you know, so that is that is where some of the hand spun comes from. The majority of it is is stuff that I have created with the delightful help of these ladies that are from Anhui province. And so Anhui is kind of the next province over from Shanghai, and it's one of the poorest provinces in China. Um, But a lot of the ladies that grew up in that region um, grew up spindle spinning cotton or spinning on like these really, really old... Oh, I'm trying to figure out how to describe them. They're spinning wheels, but they... um, they're, they're, they have more in common with like a charka than what you'd think of as a Western spinning wheel. So it's they, there's a spindle that projects horizontally from the, the, the body of the wheel. And then there is a wheel that you turn with your hand that is generally made out of several small pieces of wood um, that, that are, it's, it's very, very light scale and lightweight, but then you just turn it with your hand and then that rotates the spindle. And then, um, they, um, then they spin off the, off the end of the, um, the, the spindle and then wind the yarn around it. So it, it doesn't work with a bobbin. It doesn't have an orifice. It doesn't have any of that stuff. It's a very, very basic, um, kind of wheel, um, but that's that's kind of traditionally how it's done if it's not done with a spindle. And generally, people don't sit and spindle, um, like particularly out in the Western provinces. Um, some people will use a wheel at home, but particularly for the nomadic populations and the herding folks, they're actually spindle spinning while they're out with their animals. Right. And and so you with that particular pseudo wheel that you described, that sort of seems to be a one-handed way of spinning is it if they're having to use the other hand that must be really tricky goodness and so what's it what, what was the other, the word you use a chakra what a I, I don't know a chakra I don't I don't know that I'm not familiar with that term um it's it's a Indian it's a spinning wheel that came out of India that was specifically designed for working cotton and um they're really interesting little wheels because they're tiny um and they, they there's a you basically unfold this wooden box and then there's all these gears and stuff in it and then you can just spin on it it's it, they're really interesting wow they sound complicated um the it, I, i'm going to butcher the history of them um but the 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 story as i know it is that they were specifically designed to um during during the tension in india bet- between um the british and uh around this whole idea of you have to import cloth that we've woven um that the charka was was created so that people could do domestic production of cotton um on on a small scale and and that um uh Gandhi is very kind of closely associated with with the charka and there's a bunch of really beautiful photos of him sitting and spinning so So they're presumably both that and 
the Chinese version, are they <laughs> are they quite good at spinning very fine yarn? Are they for the well, that, for, for those those wheels? Oh, here comes my cat. Those <laughs> wheels in particular are used for cotton. Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, once once you once you learn how to spin cotton, wool is such a relief. <laughs> Um, and so I think it's the kind of thing where, um, because, because these ladies, you know, knew how to use those wheels, now that they've got the e-spinners and an easier base, it's just like, you've got to be kidding. This is fantastic. No wonder they're hooking up to the sewing machine. Machine, They were just <laughs> ripping along. Oh, that's fantastic. So we've talked a little bit about the hand spinning and you've got, uh, you know, contacts with hand spinners. Tell, tell me a little bit about how infinite yarn works now, because... It's sort of a it's a bigger picture, but obviously that's quite an important part of it for you that you're supporting these women. So, tell me what you're offering and and how that all works. Uh, so the, the hand spun yarns are absolutely my favorite because you get some really interesting subtle shifts in color that you just can't get with any other dye technique. Um, that being said, they are kind of pricey, and so it's it's not really a yarn that you can do um, a a whole sweater out of um but they're really fun for accessories um and you can you can mix them with other yarns and, and end up with something really fabulous but um you know i also do mill spun yarns um sorry my cat is just completely he loves you <laughs> <laughs> she'll settle down in a second i promise um but so i started adding mill spun yarns to the range um both because you know as a knitter myself you know they're there are times where you want something really, really, really special for a project. And there's also times where you just want a really solid, interesting, not boring, good quality yarn. Um, and so I started doing mill spun. And kind of throughout that process, I've developed two, um, two wools that are custom spun just for me. Um, and then I... Um, I also work with a couple different yarn producers over here to get some really interesting luxury fibers. Um, so at this point, the bases that I have in my range are Helix, which is a merino two ply, and Hexa, which is a merino six ply. Um, and I really like both of those yarns, um, kind of four different things. Helix is really nice because it's really springy, um, and so it makes really lovely socks and accessories and and sweaters and all kinds of good stuff. Hexa, because it's got more plies, is a little bit harder wearing. Um, and it's really nice and round, so it's got really good stitch definition. Um, so those are my two my two wools. And then and then also the hand spun is, is in wool. Um, and then the two super, super fancy yarns that I have, um, one is a camel fiber base. Um, and that one is just, it's it's got a really fun... Um, little halo to it and it's 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 just a really unusual unusual yarn um and then the other one is a mohair um and then that that is penumbra so it's umbra and penumbra and both of those guys are little chain constructions um and then there the umbra is 65 percent camel and 35 percent nylon and penumbra is 65 percent fine mohair and 35 percent nylon uh yeah it's a nice little range and the other ones the um helix and the hexa both Australian merinos, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, they're nice because I worked with the Helix on the shawl I've done with you, and it's it's really nice to use, and it's also really hard wearing, I think, because I did a bit of ripping out when I was knitting that shawl and ripping back and changing things, and it just you just didn't notice it. The the yarn just stood up to that really well. I thought I've been really happy with it. It's um, I've used it for socks, and my socks take quite a beating, um, and 
just, I really like that yarn. It's, 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 it's at the moment I'm experimenting, kind of combining it with Hexa. I just did a pair of socks. That's basically half Hexa and half Helix. Um, and, and it's in color work and I'm just super, super excited to be wearing those guys for the rest of spring and then to, to, to see how they do long-term. But I'm, I have high hopes for some very, very durable, cozy socks. I imagine so, but just based on the, the uh, work that I've done with it, that, yeah, it's really good. It's a really good base, I think. For, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, the other thing I love about your yarn, and particularly the Helix that I used, was the tones in it the way you dye it it's really pretty i um i think it's it's a soft soft sh- tonal shifts within it isn't there it's not really um it's not too variegated that within the tones you know it's it's really funny because i love the way that like super highly variegated yarn looks on the skein but it continually drives me crazy when i'm trying to use it um and so like those those semi solids that's really kind of my happy place because the thing that I really like about doing yarn that way is that particularly for um, accessories and then also for garments, um, you can end up with something that will match a bunch of different colors in your wardrobe with just one yarn. Um, and like particularly for me, you know, there, the, I mean, there's so many wonderful colors out there, but I get tired of working with a yarn if there are no changes in it. Like it just just more of the same yay (laughs) um and the thing that i like about the semi-solids is that there there's enough there's enough happening to keep me interested in working with it but not so much going on that it totally dominates my project um but yeah i think i i the other thing that's kind of fun with the semi-solids is if you pair them with either something that's like really, really variegated or something that's really solid, that you can you can start getting some interesting combinations as well. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That looks lovely. And I love the way that the semi-solids have given a real depth to the to the knitting so that even the, yeah, just the, the, the wrap that I did, it's just real depth to it. I think it's real interest in the colour work that's in there. I really liked that. I thought it was great. Um so people can buy your yarn from you as just yarn, can't they? But yes. they can also buy kits from you. So I want, yeah, I was hoping you'd tell me a little bit about, or telling everyone that's listening a little bit about the kits that are available and how they do that and what kind of, what's your favourite things to have in a kit? And... Oh, okay. Um, so like the, the thing that, that I, uh, so I feel like the problem <laughs> that a kit solves is, is I've, I've had this, it, particularly when I was living in the States and had access to, to regular yarn stores, you know, I would figure out, oh, you know, okay, I want to make a shawl. And I would go and I would get my yarn and then I'd come out and I'd be like, oh, I don't have the right needle for this, you know, and then you're kind of swatching and then it's like, oh, this isn't working. And then it's back to the yarn store and get the right needle. And then, you know, you get it home and it's like, and now I don't have the right number of stitch markers. <laughs> and then it's back to the yarn store. And then it's, where's my yarn needle? And, you know, just on and on and on. And the thing that I really like about kits, like just from a practical standpoint, is that everything is in the box. And so you you at least have a really good shot at not having to go run around your house or your craft room and try to find something that's missing. So I think that the having everything in the box is really nice. So that's that's one thing that I like about kits. And I think the other thing that's that's nice is that um you know sometimes you just want a little present for yourself. Um, and so having something, you know, the anticipation of knowing that it's coming in the mail and then it arrives, then you get to open it. And like that experience, I think, is a really nice way to start a project. Um, and 
I think it's all, it can also be like stash paralysis, I think is a very real thing. And like, I think there are times where you can have, you know, a room full of yarn and still not have the right thing for what it is that you want to do. And I think that with a kit, it's just, it's, it's easy because, you know, I've tested it. The designers tested it. You can actually see what the thing is going to look like in the yarn that we made it in. Um, and I think that it takes a lot of the guesswork out mm-hmm. of the process. Um, and I think it also, you know, I have failed projects all the time. I think a lot of knitters do. Um, and it's a bummer when that happens. <laughs> um, and I feel like at least with kits, um, you've, you've got better odds of having something turn out right. Because the samples that you see in the photos are made from what was in the kit. Um, and I think that just kind of taking some of that risk out can can be a good feeling. Um so yeah, that's that is that is kind of the longer answer to everything I love about kits. Mm. No, I think it's a safe bet, isn't it? And I can imagine on days where you just want that, I just want that, and in the picture. So I'm going to push my button, and I'm just going to get that and everything I need. It just takes it just take, does take all the guesswork out of it, and it's a. I can see that being really appealing to people. Because I actually find a lot of people who are buying, even my patterns, but you read all over Ravelry, people wanting to use the same yarn as the designer and sometimes exactly the same colours. So that just takes all that pressure away, doesn't it? So you can actually just get that at the click of a button. (laughs) So you post them all over the world? I do. And um, life actually just got a whole lot better um, for folks outside of the US. Um, Long story short, the... I, I should probably explain how shipping works. Um, so since I'm in China and <laughs> all, all, virtually all of my customers are not, um, I, I ship around the world and I work with a logistics service. So basically I ship them the packages and then they deal with getting them through outbound China customs and then inbound customs in whatever country they're going to. And, um, there some new services have been launched recently. So now I have free shipping both to the US um, and then also to the UK, to Canada, to Australia and New Zealand. Wow. So if people buy the kit, that is the price. There isn't a different price depending on where you live. Yes. Wow. That's the, really appealing. The, the thing that I will tell you is that unfortunately the free shipping does take a while. Um, and particularly with Chinese holidays, it, it can take like up to a month to get your stuff, um, which is kind of a bummer. But at the same time, at least it's free. We're um, used to that down here. We're quite, <laughs> we have to wait forever for things to get to us, even in regular mail. It takes forever. But, oh, that's wonderful. That's really good for people. Hmm. And, and I, do, I do offer an expedited option via DHL. Um, so that, you know, it, at, at least the the actual transit time is shorter. Um, like for, for Chinese New Year, for example, customs just shuts down for 10 days and like nothing is moving and I have no control over it. Like there's just nobody at the office. Like everybody's home having dumplings with their family. And yeah. So. Oh, it's good to people take holidays. Yes. Yes. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that they're doing it. Um, but yeah. I, I do feel kind of bad for, for people that like just, I mean, and if I wasn't here, I also would have no idea when Chinese New Year is occurring um, because it moves around. And so it can be any time mm. from January to like late February. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good holiday. So, mm, mm. so you, 
how have people about around you responded to this little business that you've started? Because you have the women that presumably were spinning cotton that are working for you, <laughs> which I would like to talk a little bit more about that. But first, yeah. I um, I'm just curious to know what your neighbours think. I mean, what do people around you think about? Do they know that you're doing knitting and the people you're dealing with? Is knitting a thing in China? Knitting, knitting is totally a thing in China, but uh, it is completely different from knitting anywhere else in the world, as as far as I can tell. So the, the goal um, for most Chinese knitters is to produce a finished object that looks like it's machine made. So they'll be knitting with tiny yarn on like triple zero, like itty bitty needles. And they, they generally use, they knit in the round with um, long needles that are like 30 or 40 centimeters um, and they'll just they'll they'll spend weeks working on a sweater and like I mean, they're probably doing maybe 50 or 60 stitches over 10 centimeters um, wow, I mean it's fine it's it's unbelievable and so you know once in a while you'll see something that, that looks hand knit but it's usually only like a small item like a hat there's so there there's a lot of hand knit sweaters that are happening around you, but you wouldn't know it because they look like they've been done by machine. Oh, I see. So people are knitting. So they they're presumably getting yarn specifically for is it lace weight or even finer some of the or it's just tiny tiny needles in combination. Well, it's it's a combination. Well, so there there is yarn that's produced in China. Um, generally, most of it is not very nice. Um, the other thing that you can do is that there are a bunch of markets that specialize in knitwear. Like you can go down and have a sweater um, custom machine knit. And so um, one of the things that I've been experimenting with recently it is going down there and it's yarn that's on cones. And it's usually single plies and it's usually um, like cashmere and wool blend. Like there's a lot of acrylic, so you have to be careful with what you're getting. Um, but what you can do is pick like six or seven different cones pull a strand off each cone and then have them wind it together for you into like one big cone with like seven plies um and so that's that's kind of interesting i'm starting to work with that a little bit um mm. for some for some some kits that are going to be coming out in the near future um but there's there's as far as i know i'm the only hand dyer in china um and they're just like most of my neighbors are just completely confused by the hand spun because they're kind of looking at it and going, well, why would you work with something that's this big? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really fun to you know be walking down the street because there's there's a lot of like street culture here. Like people will just pull their chairs out in the evening and like play cards, knit, have a game of mahjong on the street. Like as long as it's re relatively warm. Um, and so, you know, even though my spoken Chinese is very, very limited, you know, I can come up to a lady that's knitting and show her my knitting. And then we have this wonderful charades conversation. Um, but yeah, it's there, there's a lot of knitting happening. It's just very, very different from knitting um, in, in other places. Ah, that's really interesting. So the the women that you're using to spin your yarn, they possibly knit but not with the yarn you're using, or have you managed to convert some of them over to use your yarn? Um, so there's there's kind of two answers to that. So so Zuo definitely knits, um, but she kind of tends to make like hats and things, and and her kids are grown, um, and so she she doesn't really knit as much. Um, but in Western China, where there's still a lot of spinning happening, um, like this is also in Shanghai province, where some of my hand spun comes from, they don't knit at all. That culture is is much more focused on weaving. Um, and so they make some really, really beautiful rugs with the yarn that they spin. 
Oh, I see. And so, Jean, while we're on the topic, tell me a little bit more about the the organisation that you, the Shinto organisation it's called, isn't it, that helps the women that you get your um, spinning done through. So Shinto is a really, really amazing organisation. So the, the, the problem that they are trying to solve um, is it's, it's, I, I kind of need to paint this picture a, a little bit widely. Um, but so basically in China, in, as long as you stay in the place that you were born, where your family registration is, and the family registration is something called a huko. And what the huko is, um, is as long as, as long as you stay in the place where you're registered, you get free healthcare, your kids can go to school for free, and basically you have services. As soon as you move out of the place where you are registered, you no longer have those things. And so if, if you are a person who's living in rural China and you want to come to the city where there are better opportunities for jobs and just making life better for your family, when, when, so when they, when they make the move, they, they lose the opportunity for their kids to go to school and then you lose your health care. And so what Shintu does is that they provide health checks, they provide screenings, um, they, and, and so they assist with all of these issues. Um, and they've been absolutely fantastic because basically I contacted them and said, you know, I'm really looking for people who, um, you know, might, might have experience spinning yarn by hand. And they helped me find um, a bunch of candidates, did a bunch of interviews. Um, and and Zwoll and her mom have been with me ever since. Wow. Oh, that's really neat. And then so they do a lot of what you're, what you're getting made. And then the remainder of it is uh, done by women that you are in direct contact with. Is that right? And they're just through the cooperative. Well, I actually, I, I, I know all the ladies in the cooperative personally. Oh, um, neat. Yeah, I did about six trainings for them. Um, and so I, w- I would travel from Shanghai to Western China, you know, drive in a car for hours and hours and hours to get to their little town. Um, and yeah, it's they're, they're producing some really lovely yarn. It was that was a really, really fun project. Um, there's there's one particular lady from the co-op who just like has like I, I can tell the yarn that she has made versus the yarn that everybody else has made. Oh, yes. And then yeah. that's because. Um, she just had like every, every hand spinner kind of has their own little fingerprint to their yarn. And, and this, this gal, her name, her name is Lariazzo and, and her, like, she tends to like, she puts almost like as much twist as the yarn will hold. And it's just perfect. I mean, it, it almost, it, it almost looks like it's been mill spun. It's so perfect. Um, and almost everybody else has puts in slightly less twist, you know, which, which is fine. I mean, the, you know, there's a range of twist that's appropriate for, for a given fiber, but like Lariatso's yarn, like it, it looks like somebody put some mill spun yarn in a bag of hand spun. Wow. So it's, yeah, she must be pretty good. How amazing. But I love that about hand spun. It's the variety that is within it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes it so special, isn't it? Well, and it's also it's also what makes it really really well suited for kits, um, because like when I'm when I'm doing kits with handspun, I will make sure that you know it's a match that it's all either from the same person or that it's the same quality, because there will there will be a bunch of different qualities you know kind of within a batch, um, and so it's the kind of thing that if you're buying it skein by skein, it's a really really difficult product to manage because you can buy one skein and then come back two months later trying to get another one and you won't be able to match the 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 distinct characteristics of that yarn 
Well, that's a really good point, actually, so that, that you can be guaranteed that you can even get something from the same spinner. So mm-hmm. that, it, yeah, that's really, that's really good. So there's a bit of controversy, I suppose, might be the right word these days about things coming out of China. I, there certainly is in New Zealand because a lot of what we have here comes out of China. And it's nice for me to hear that what you're doing is actually helping out women in rural China and giving them jobs and better opportunities. And what about the fibres that you're sourcing? What, how important is it to you that, that these things are done in a, in a way that, that works for you or is good for you, good for the people? You know, it's, I I really wish I had a better answer for you on this. Um, You know, part of the the kind of larger China controversy, it's my feeling on it is that if, if you have a vibrant local wool situation of any sort, absolutely support that. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's really important that, you know, particularly for people that are in places where there are some, you know, interesting things happening with rare breed sheep, um, you know, some of the things that you see happening with British wool in the UK. Um, I think that's wonderful. And I, and I think that knitters should be really conscious of, of being able to support that. Um, you know, at the same time, I would love to be able to tell you that everything in China is hunky-dory and I have complete and perfect visibility to everything that's happening in my supply chain. Um, but I don't. You know, and it's at least at least with the Australian Merino base, you know, at least we know that that wool is coming from someplace where people are at least thinking about some of these issues, particularly around animal rights. And, you know, and again, there's there's controversy about how the sheep are managed in in Australia. Um, So I, I don't I think that outside of, you know, local shepherds raising sheep in a very, very humane way, I think that once you kind of step out of that bubble, it's degrees of appropriateness. And, you know, for for me, I try to focus on where I can have impact. And the working with hand spinners is definitely a place that I can have impact, that by paying a living wage and creating jobs, that actually makes a significant difference in the lives of a small number of people. So that I feel good about. Um, the other thing for me is some of the environmental issues that, um, you know, I buy my dye from the U.S. I'm not using Chinese dye. Um, the, I've been using the same dye for more than 20 years. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with the dye manufacturer and basically said, hey, you know, can you guys tell me what's going down the drain? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so getting the information on the chemistry and then figuring out how to not end up putting any dye down the drain. Um, that, that That's also really important to me. That um, So I also explain that a little bit. So when I do um, exhaust dyeing processes, so basically all of the dye stuff is ending up bonded to something. So any hand dyer is using a lot of water, which is you know not great from an environmental perspective, but at least we're not putting crazy chemicals into the environment. That um, you know the the dyes that I use are acid dyes, and so they're they're set with vinegar. So at least within the dyeing process, I'm using dye chemicals that are relatively benign in the grand scheme of things, and vinegar, which is also pretty benign in the grand scheme of things. And then, um, like for example, the um, the mini cake gradients, which is kind of a new thing that um, that I just started doing. Those guys are actually made, they're, so they're one-of-a-kind skeins, and they are done with the leftover dye 
from the rest of the the semi-solids and the fiber for the hand spun and all the other stuff that I'm dyeing. And so to be able to use up every last little drop of the dye and make sure that, you know, at, you know, at least there isn't dye stuff ending up in the water supply, um, you know, and, and so like trying to figure out fun ways to use up the odds and ends and be conscious about that. Um, those are, those are kind of the areas that I focus on, but I mean, I think that the, the larger picture in China, like if you look at it kind of from a manufacturing standpoint, is that even 10 years ago, the kinds of things that China was producing are a little bit different than what it's producing now. That like the really low end production has moved to other places and it's continuing to move to other places. And so um, I think that um, as that trend continues, um, I think that you know, and also as as China works on cleaning up its act, um, that I think I think that we will continue to see improvement. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's as much as I would love to to sit here and say, you know, yes, one hundred percent, all the way. But yeah, I think I think that supporting your your local shepherds and your local flocks that that's that's really important. Um, but you know, I think the other thing with China is that there's there's been this kind of period of time where, you know, you're, you're flipping something over, seeing the oh, made in China, or, you know. But this also is the place where silks and spices and all sorts of fascinating and wonderful things came from. Um, and so I'm hoping that the um, that that kind of older tradition of some really beautiful handcrafts um, and and just unbelievable textile traditions. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to to be able to bring some more of that into um, into the product line with Infinite Twist and to bring in, you know, some I've just been seeing some really, really beautiful hand embroidery recently um, and trying to figure out how to bring that into the range, whether that's going to be project bags. I'm not entirely sure yet, but, you know, in in amongst the um, the less pleasant sides of China, there there are still some really interesting and really beautiful things being made. Oh, that sounds like wonderful ideas that you've got to, uh, for the future. I like the sound of that because I, I guess there is, it must be different being there and on the ground there and, and certainly living in amongst the, the neighbourhoods. There must be a different feel and, and I, it's such an old culture with such mm-hmm. a rich history. So it'd be fascinating, I think. I like the idea of bringing some more of that ancient craft and old crafts back to, back to the fore again. That would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, where can people find you, Kate? Where, if they want to have a look at your patterns that you've got available for kits and some of the yarn that you've got available, where can they find you? Um, so the best the best place is infinitetwist.com. And then I am also on Instagram, Ravelry and Twitter and all the usual social media suspects as at Infinite Twist. Fantastic. And the pattern that I've done with you is available now when this podcast goes live it will be available so people can head over to the website and have a look at that if they like it's called the liza wrap and it's gorgeous oh i'm glad you think so (laughs) it's always nerve-wracking i love the colors you picked i think it's really really special well i i yeah in the end i had my sister-in-law model it for me because she had a mane of blonde hair that just sort of fitted that scandinavian vibe that we were going for and Mm -hmm. um i think she did a good job of of pulling it off really so I'm, I'm really pleased with the photography that we managed to get but it's pretty exciting it was really fun working with you and thank you so much for talking to me today I just um I really enjoyed that I'm really 
it's just so encouraging to hear this the stuff that you're doing and particularly the work with the women in China and just helping people out and just every little bit matters I just think this is a really lovely story of how every little bit matters and counts so I'm really pleased that you joined me today thank you so much for the opportunity it's been lovely to talk to you wasn't that interesting thank you so much Kate it was a pleasure to talk to you if you want to find my Liza wrap with Kate you can get it as a kit so head over to her website I'll put some show notes and you I'll put links to everything in the show notes one more thing I wanted to mention before I go my mini mag newsletter is due out next week have you subscribed if you haven't I'll put a link in the show notes as well or head over to my website trudymyrtle.com and you can fill in your your details on the side there and you can get the newsletter delivered to your mailbox it comes back it comes back it arrives the last week of every month usually on about a Wednesday, my Wednesday, so sometimes it might be your Tuesday, and it's free. It just has little articles, tips for you, links to great things I've discovered, and a bit about what's going on behind the scenes at Trudy Myrtle. So go and grab your copy if you want one. I think that's it. I'll see you in about a fortnight. We might be a little bit early next time because I'm actually off to a yarn retreat. I'm pretty excited. I'm flying down to the other end of New Zealand. I'm going to the Unwind Yarn Festival. If you're there, come and say hello to me. I'm really excited about meeting everyone. I'm actually doing no knitting classes. It's re- I just, I'm not sure what came over me. I'm doing a bookbinding class and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time doing some interviews, chatting to people, sitting around and knitting. I'm just going to have a ball, I think. So if you're there, come and say hi. I'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Is it a scarf or is it half of a sweater? From what I've heard, it could be a third of a poncho. There's no excuse now not to be knitting, because you can do it standing and you can do it sitting. Is it a hat or is it the start of a blanket? Maybe a ball or even a shawl for a baby. There's no excuse now not to be knitting, cause you can do it standing and you can do it sitting. Take out your needles, yeah, we're casting up. One, two, three, four, five, but once I got a fish love you can do it, Mary. You can do it, John. Is it a gnome or some other homely creation? Wait and see, it might even be for a teapot. There's no excuse now not to be knitting, cause you can do it standing and you can do it sitting. Take out your needle, yeah, yeah, we're casting on. Once I got a fish and love you, you can do it, Mary. Yeah, you can do it, Mary. You can do it, Mary. And you can do it, John.